Welcome back to the XX Mormon podcast. Every day, every every day, everybody, every 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 pony. Um, we are delighted to have you join us here on this beautiful Sunday. It is, in fact, a beautiful Sunday. At least here in Calgary, it's going to be like 15 degrees Celsius out here. Is it still raining and pouring out there in uh, Van City area? That's right. That is right. And how's uh, how's the GTA? <laughs> uh, lots of snow. It's been snowing steadily for about 12 hours. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. beautiful, beautiful nature is beautiful. God has blessed us with uh, some of us with moisture and uh, some of us with clear skies for like the past three months. So... Uh, today we are joined by Counselor Davis. We were going to have an expert panel, but um, one of our experts decided not to show up. So we've got Counselor Davis back here joining us uh, to talk about values. Bishop Jensen, do you want to introduce the topic a little bit? Yes. So a week or two ago, Radio Free Mormon had a debate with Midnight Mormons on YouTube. Are you guys familiar with Midnight Mormons? Like Kwaku L and those guys, they're kind of like young neo-apologists who, you know, try and target Gen Z, Gen Y, millennials. So they had this debate with Radio Free Mormon, and they actually asked, out of all the BS that they said, they actually did, I thought, make one good point. And they asked Radio Free Mormon, Do you take any responsibility for dismantling people's worldview and not giving them an alternative? Hmm. Hmm. And he just said, no, I don't. And I was like, you know what? That's actually a fair comment. Like you spend all this time dismantling somebody's worldview and provide no alternative. So it's like, Hey, you know, that jacket you wear, that's a crappy jacket. You could probably get a new one and then you take the jacket away. And it's like, but, what other jacket am I going to wear? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think, Oh, like, I think we've done what we can uh, just because we've been telling our own stories to kind of talk about rediscovering ourselves or finding new things on our journey out of Mormonism. Um, but I thought it'd be good to have a little discussion and do some online quizzes about rediscovering your, your uh, personal values and kind of establishing a set of personal values as you leave the church. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Are we? You already did these quizzes. Do you have? Uh, I did. Do you have any I values? I sent them to you guys. Did Did you guys take any of them? I I did not because uh, because you said, "Oh, I have no values," according to this quiz, and I was like, "Yeah, well, if so- you don't have any values, I definitely don't have any values." <laughs> <laughs> so well, I thought and- that. Oh, and ahead. I did the same quiz, and I got yeah. Yeah, you have no dominant values either. Okay, so it's just like I think it's just kind of a a blanket response until you pay the extra dollars to the extra money to <laughs> get the the you know the more comprehensive report about what is important to you. Did so I found that like while I was going through the questions, like it was on a five point scale, right? Of like some some always, sometimes never, right? And I could not bring myself to put always or never on anything. Hmm. How about how about you, Counselor Davis? I think I put like one, one once, right? Yeah, like it's. I don't feel strongly either way on on most things because I don't. I don't think every subject is so black and white as we, you know, are questioned in that, as the questions are formed in that uh, that quiz. So, like, if you think about yourself ten years ago, how many always and nevers do you think you would have put? A lot more. I think like I Mm -hmm. think so too. I think probably when I was active, like everything would have fallen into an always and never. Um, I can remember doing like Myers Briggs personality tests in in business school. Did you have to do any of those? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And just basically thinking like, well, two thoughts. Number one, that how is this different from a crystal ball? Mm -hmm. Number two, um, what does God want me to answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I remember, yeah, I, yeah. So, I on on the Myers Briggs thing. That's the like ENFPJ yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. I uh, 
I've always, whenever I've done those things, it's always been like straight down the middle. Like it's always been just on the edge, like 50%, 50% kind of thing. Like I really, I, I think if you were to do the, uh, the grid for, uh, you know, how you choose your D&D alignment, right? There's like yeah. chaotic, neutral, chaotic, good, chaotic, evil. I'm probably, I'm like a true neutral. I don't care. I, like I care about very little. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it, I don't know, it actually causes some problems. <laughs> not like not really caring just because I think it frustrates other people how little I care. But I feel like that's because I had something I was all in on and it mm-hmm. turned out to be a lie, and then I left, and then I just kind of became okay with not, with not having anything. Like I, I adopted that as that's okay, um, and so I don't like. Almost, do you need a new framework? I don't know if that is a framework to not care or, or what. Um, yeah, I I have a theory about the loss of dominant values as you leave the church or fundamentalist religion. Mm -hmm. Like I can remember talking, my great grandparents have all passed away, but I can remember talking to my great grandpa uh, when I was probably between like 10 and 13. Um, And then even talking to my grandparents and you kind of, whenever you talk to like an older person about, I don't know, something tough at school or difficulty with getting along with friends or coworkers or something like that, They've got a very much like everything's going to work out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, th- they don't tend to get as easily worked up as uh, as younger people do. Right. And I think it's kind of they've become wise. Right. And they're not extreme in anything anymore. They don't get worked up by anything anymore. And so I think that as you leave the church, you've lived in a world of rigidity and and in uh, a strictness to a certain set of values you've seen where that road goes and then you leave it and you say, you know what life would work out better if I took situations one at a time and kind of just evaluated those situations and didn't make hard stances until I had all the information. Right. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I think in, in some ways in not being too extreme or not having any dominant set of values, I think your dominant value is that you've learned to be wise. You've, you've developed some wisdom and now wisdom is your new guiding light and value right right yeah you take things a little bit slower and maybe more intentionally uh as as well instead of just saying you know this is what my church taught me uh yeah and and rolling with that because i definitely like when i when i was in i was all over everything you know it was very you know black and white even even my friends in church we're like, mm-hmm. that guy is way too black and white. He needs to relax, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but I took it so seriously, uh, like you should. And then, and then because it didn't work out, now I don't take anything so seriously. Yeah, I read a book called uh, Persuadable and uh, highly recommend it. And it just talks about compares leaders that were so firm and unwavering in their position and how they are seen as uh, incredible, um, you know, driven, determined people. But then you look at other leaders that one new information was given to them, they changed their perspective or their um, uh, perspective on things and how actually having being persuaded or being persuadable, not with like, stupid foolishness or, mm-hmm. or whatever, but like by kind of changing your opinion based on new information is actually way more important than being so firm in, in what you, you know, believed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the stance that I've taken. I'm like, you know, show me evidence to support one way or the other. And I'll take that into my decision-making process. Mm-hmm. And what I decided two years ago might be different from what I decide today. Right. And, you know, and we don't give that allowance to p- politicians. You know, we mm-hmm. call them flip-floppers. Mm-hmm. But, but I think people that grow and people that go through experiences, um, inevitably, they're going to change. Mm-hmm. And you have to give space for that. 
And I think a lot of individuals don't give themselves that space because it's seen as a weakness, as a flip flopper. Like we just have, we have friends that decided that they'll never mask their kids, you know, middle of 2020. And now we're at the end of 2021 and they're pulling their hair out because they, they're just, their family situation doesn't allow for homeschooling. And they're basically seeing their, their daughters in a, like mentally their daughters are in a bad way Mm -hmm. um, because we're now heading into another winter. They actually live in a small, in a tiny home. And it's just a bad situation, but they will not mask their daughters so they can go to school. Um, and, you know, masking is a different subject, but like they just are just so hell bent on the decision that they, they made a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And it was an easy decision then because um, just because of circumstances, but now it's, uh, it's more difficult to follow through and they're just unrelenting. Yeah, you you kind of get kind of get stuck, and if you're too, um, if you have like too much pride or whatever it is to change your mind, or I mean, and sometimes we do it to other people as well. Like we're not very forgiving when people change their minds. We say things like "I told you so," or uh, we say "I thought you said blah blah blah." I remember, you know, yeah, so yeah. many so many things with the church and outside of the church too, where I changed my mind on something and people said, but I thought you said, it's like, yeah, okay. I like, I did say that. Um, but I, I, I don't actually think that anymore. I changed my mind. New information was given to me or I've just changed as a person in general. And now I think differently I've grown. And I think maybe, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we should be more compassionate and patient with people when they, when they change their their minds um, about anything. I think what you explained is, like when you come out of Mormonism, you have the unique opportunity to, to do what you just did, to admit to yourself and others that you, are, you got something completely wrong, and based on new information, you're now changing your life. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if everybody who comes out of Mormonism realizes that, because it's like they just switch teams in the same game. Mm-hmm. they're rigid yeah. and black and white as Mormons. And then they are rigid and black and white and unforgiving as ex Mormons. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, you didn't, you've had an opportunity to learn to become flexible and to change your mind based on new information and to realize that there's a lot of different people in different situations, mm-hmm. but now you've just changed teams. So instead of the people outside the church being all bad and all wrong and all evil, all the people inside the church mm-hmm. are the infidels. Yeah. Right. I just, yeah. Bishop, I just think you hit like the TSN turning point uh, or ESPN <laughs> turning point on that conversation. I think you, I think you did. Cause like, like leaving the church, I took that stance. I was like, fuck it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and now fast forward four and a half years. And as you know, I'm going through this like spiritual journey and I'm like, you know what? The, the church had a lot of crap um, that it, fed me continually but mm-hmm. it did give me uh tools to kind of uh that i am kind of rediscovering right now mm-hmm. and and to take that hard stance of like yeah i'm either for because we're even told that in the church like if you're not with us you're against us mm-hmm. and that is cult speak and mm-hmm. i think you know that's a very political comment especially in the u.s right now like if you're not a trump follower you are a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Like, well, wait, wait a minute. No, no, I can be a Republican and think Trump is an idiot. Yeah. Is that too much political speak for? No. no and if you're no, a Democrat, you're also a communist. And oh, if, yeah. And if yeah. you're a Republican, you're also religious. Right? There, there's all yeah. these stereotypes that, that, we, that we put on people. Um, but speaking of your spiritual journey, oh, oh, what's that I hear? Is that a, is that a plug for a new podcast I, I hear? Uh, Counselor Davis has a great new podcast that's that's coming out. It's called the At One Mint Podcast. It's kind of a take on atonement, and and I feel like a little bit more of like the real idea of this At One Mint, um, out, instead of this this guilt ridden 
quote-unquote godly sorrow, talk to your bishop repentance thing. It's kind of your spiritual journey. Do you want to tell us a bit more uh, about that there, Counselor Davis? Sure. The The premise is um, consciousness post-Mormonism. So just kind of discovering, you know, your own thought patterns and, you know, why you do things inside and outside the church, but more specifically outside the church. My co-host is an ex-Mormon as well. Uh, she has a significantly different story than myself. So the varying perspectives um, are, are pretty pretty profound and do offer you tools to kind of unpack your own uh, religious baggage as as you leave the church. So thanks for thanks for the plug, yeah. Brother Jackson. Yeah, you'll you're... learn the real you'll learn about the real Counselor Davis in in the <laughs> at one minute podcast. Yes, yes, he, he he won't be calling himself Counselor Davis over there. So just so you're not confused, you're like, what? I thought his name was Counselor Davis. Guys, we're using pseudonyms. Duh. Uh, this is not a real church meeting right now. Yes, case, you may have been confused by the opening. Confused. Yeah, we are not recording a Zoom sacrament meeting right now. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, but yeah, it's a great podcast. I edited it, and uh, so I've already listened to what's coming, and um, absolutely, um, absolutely worth a listen. It's definitely a different perspective from what we're doing over here. Uh, Bishop Jensen and I are significantly more blasphemous uh and, and <laughs> in our in our healing and but i think going back to the values that's a big part of healing is you know is doing it in your way and being comfortable with doing it in in your way whatever that looks like and a lot of that we've talked about before is going to be angry a lot of it is going to be crying or talking with friends or laughing with friends like we do here. Um, and I think being comfortable with that and then being comfortable with other people having their own values and their own path and trajectory as well. One thing I thought was interesting, like having another conversation about values and politics and this stuff was like, can you imagine, I know one thing, like having a bunch of Mormon friends still on Facebook, I get a lot of uh, people posting clips of Pierre Polivier or something like Poly that. He's a conservative. Yeah. yeah. And he's always like trying to rip into the, uh, the prime minister of Canada. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if he just got up one day and said, Mr. Prime Minister, this bill is a very interesting conclusion. Can you please just explain to us how you came to that decision that this would be the right thing for Canada to do. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine like the real constructive discussion? Right. And then all of a sudden we're talking about problems that the country is dealing with instead of platforms, policies, you know, partisan politics mm -hmm. and all that kind of, you know, cause I'm sure there's a bunch of liberal people and a bunch of conservative people in Canada who really actually would agree on a solution to a problem mm -hmm. and a bunch of people from the NDP and Bloc Québécois. There's probably a bunch of problems that they would actually agree on a solution to, but because they so sharply divide the conversation in, in black and white tones, they can't really discuss the problem without seriously criticizing or demeaning each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, this is a, an interesting tidbit there was one time uh it was when the ndp were were in charge in alberta they were the the party and um and everything the wild rose party was like the opposition her majesty's loyal opposition and uh i i emailed them because they weren't giving any like alternative ideas right so i emailed them i'm like you guys are just kind of jerks. Like you don't do anything. And they just came back with, well, that's our job is to just criticize. And I'm like, but you're not doing anything constructive. Like mm -hmm. let's have a constructive conversation. How about instead yeah. of just kind of dumping on other people's values, why not ask them why, why does that matter to you? Why is that important to you? Uh, and, and why have you made a decision to make your life decisions based on what you've been taught here? Um, and, and going in with an air of curiosity about other people's values and about yours instead of uh, I'm here to promote my own kind of idea. 
There is this there, video I saw. Oh, go ahead there, Counselor Davis. No, I was just going to say there's a there's a book called Teardown about rebuilding democracy and some of the pragmatic solutions they, they have um, in that book include um, parties not sitting with just their themselves, like, you know, have a have a liberal conservative NDP, Lockwick, Qua, individual, like all sitting together instead of like everyone clumped over here and everyone clumped over there and people would be less prone to just spew rhetoric from their party mm -hmm. and actually like talk and mm -hmm. come up with solutions. Like it's infuriating that these people are in charge, but it has nothing to do with like serving the people and everything to do with pushing their agenda and getting reelected mm -hmm. uh, next time around. Anyway, political rant over. Count, uh, Bishop, uh, oh, Jensen, I, your, your video. I saw <laughs> I saw this YouTube video. The guy was saying it was something like what liberals don't understand about conservatives and what conservatives don't understand about liberals. And it kind of went through a series of values, but it was explaining how conservatives and liberals or whatever, the left and the right, they actually do share a set of set of values in common. They just perceive those values in a different way. Mm -hmm. So for example, justice, liberals tend to see it in terms of equality and, and conservatives tend to see it in this because when they talk, they're both talking about fairness. They're just talking about it differently. Right. Mm -hmm. So liberals will talk about taxing the rich and redistribution of wealth. Right. And conservatives will talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, and this idea of independence, you, you get what you earn. You know, they're both talking about justice. They're just talking about it differently. Mm -hmm. So they share a value of justice. It's just their perspective on it is different. And if you can understand, you know, the different perspective of the same thing, you can start talking to each other instead of talking over each other, right? Mm -hmm. And and talking past each other, like yeah. you know, you're you're having this conversation, but it's like you're and you're talking about the same things, but you're using different words and different lingo, and maybe you're using some of the same words, but uh, but that word means something different to you than it does to me right? When I say mm -hmm. appeasement, that might mean something different to me than it does to you, especially depending on what historical context you're putting that in, right? And, uh, and I think that's a big, that's a big issue. Um, and so I wonder, um, when, when leaving the church, um, how, how do we reconstruct our values in a way that doesn't make it so that we kind of end up in this political uh, gridlock where where we can't have conversations with somebody who disagrees with us or with somebody who is currently where we used to be right with mormons how do we how do we develop our values in a way that we can uh, appreciate where they're coming from because a lot of us still have mormon family and still have to deal with that I, I would say, yeah, we were asked by another TBM couple, like, what do you teach your kids after we had left the church? Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned this before. I said, well, there's still like values that we feel are universal, regardless of religion. It's, you know, love, kindness, tolerance. Tolerance isn't that important in Mormonism to a certain degree, mm -hmm. but there are these universal things that we instill in our children and we don't need the story of Nephi and we don't need the story of Abinadi to like teach these things that are so important to our kids. And so when I think about connecting or not offending or still relating back to people that are in the church, I just, you know, I agree with them on, on things and I'm not going to take the hard stance and say, well, you guys believe in a polygamist leader and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Although I'll go there, I'll go there. But it's more like I, I believe, you know, kindness and love um, is super important. Do I believe that we're um, natural people and we're enemy to, enemies to God? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. I think we're inherently very valuable. We exist 
you know, together in this space and we need to <clears throat> treasure each other regardless of what we believe. Hmm. And, you know, hopefully that, cause they, it's hard to like, it's hard to disagree with that when you're positioned like that, when you're talking with someone. But. Right. Right. And something I had an interesting conversation about this the other night, actually with a, with a couple friends and one of them, I didn't know this when I met him, but he, he's also an ex Mormon. Uh, he joined in early adulthood and left a while later, but, um, we, we were talking about where we get our values from and not necessarily our values, but like our moral judgment, right? Like, yeah, I, I don't kill people, right? Like where, where does that come from? And, uh, and he, this one friend, uh, is a Christian and, uh, regularly goes to church and does the Christian things and considers him a Christian. But what was really interesting is he didn't, he didn't take his moral cues from the Bible or from God or anything. He took it from a very pragmatic stance of, well, uh, evolutionarily speaking, if we were just to kill everybody in our tribe, if we just thought that was okay, what we we wouldn't last and so he just took it from that very pragmatic stance so i thought it was interesting that his his values he didn't claim came from god but he uh he got something else out of his religion and out of being being a christian so i don't know there's a lot of different ways that people come at things and uh and maybe we shouldn't be be so quick to quick to judge uh, yeah yeah i know there's one like i i have a friend who was uh he left the church while still living in calgary took a job in utah um didn't really tell anybody that he w- had left the church or that he was formerly mormon mm-hmm. but he said his workplace was basically full of mormons or ex-mormons hmm. and everybody would overshare all the time mm. whether or not they were mormon <laughs> or ex-mormon and he said he just Pretended he was never a member of the church, but one thing he saw was when people would leave the church, you could tell because all of a sudden they like come to work with a ponytail and they grow a beard and they go to the bar every night and they're marching at the front of the gay pride parade. And it's like everything that the church told them not to do, that is their new value. Mm-hmm. It is they're They just turn their life into a photo negative of the church. And I'm not disparaging any of those things. I'm just saying like, that's a very reactionary mm-hmm kind of way to reestablish yourself and you're still defining yourself by Mormonism now. Mm-hmm. You have just stopped. being the opposite. Yeah. And now I just value everything that the church doesn't value. And those are my new guiding values. And that's how I'm going to live my life. Right. And, and really same thing that I was saying before, you haven't graduated from Mormonism yet. You've just stopped playing. You're playing on the other team in the same game. Mm-hmm. Um, the opportunity that you have is to, learn to think and question and be pragmatic mm-hmm. and evaluate if the, if there's any utility here in the decision that I'm making mm-hmm. and, and those kinds of things. I think there's certain values that I got from the church that while in the church, I took to an extreme that was uh, uh, not healthy. So I believe in, in sacrifice and delaying gratification. Hmm. I believe that that's good. Um, that if you're always chasing gratification, you'll, you know, end up addicted and broke. Um, so that's something that I, but, I, but define gratification. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to push you on that. Good. Good. I mean, like if you're always chasing, um, I'd call it like mindless he- hedonism. Hmm. Um, and even like hedonism, something that I've become a little bit more nuanced. I know nuance is a buzzword, but I've become more nuanced about it because hedonism is about, taking pleasure in life. Um, maximizing I think pleasure. Yeah. Maximizing pleasure. Right. So you might look at somebody and say, Oh, they're just chasing a hedonistic lifestyle. They might not be. If I was truly chasing a hedonistic lifestyle, I think I would want to drink the best wine mm-hmm. and the best scotch and eat the nicest food that I could afford. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't just be going out and partying. That's mm-hmm. not, I, in my mind, that's not, that's what I call mindless hedonism. Well, and there but, are, there, there are some uh, some 
ideas of hedonism, like some strains of hedonism uh, mm -hmm. that av avoid sex, like celibate hedonists are right. a real thing because in their mind, uh, and this is, you know, now we have contraceptives and, and things, but in ancient Greece, it was like, sex leads to children and children are annoying. So, <laughs> so they, they were like, I'm going to be celibate so that I can just mm -hmm. enjoy my life. And, right. uh, and, and so I, I like that distinction you made about it being mindless hedonism, you chasing the, the current hit instead of the, the full appreciation and pleasure of life. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like, so back to your original question, counselor Davis, like uh, gratification. I just like, I always had to learn how to work and save to buy something and, and yeah. put off like, you know, I can buy, you know, I don't know. I can buy some Pokemon cards today, or I can save up my money and buy a bike. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather save up my money and buy the bike than spend all my money on Pokemon cards now. Um, also like with kids, kids are a lot of work and you get these brief glimpses and moments I find of fulfillment and it's a big sacrifice and it takes a toll on you emotionally, economically in every way. Um, but then you start to see these little people grow and become something and that's very, very fulfilling. Right. And that's kind of, that is a value in Mormonism to be self-sacrificing, to, to delay gratification with a bigger goal in mind. Um, but where that gets taken to an un unhealthy degree in Mormonism is when you have women who give up a life and a career just so they can stay at home and, uh, and raise kids and do nothing else but raise kids because that's what God made them or told them to do. Mm -hmm. um, always fulfilling your calling no matter what it costs your family um, is another way that that can be taken or your mental health or whatever, becoming obsessed with, with the, the list of uh, the myriad number of rules that you have to deal with. Um, but still the fundamental value of that sacrificing now for the future is important. I think that's something I can, I've taken with me and I don't think will ever change. And I can accept that I got it from Mormonism. I just have learned how to temper it in a healthy way now. And I guess, I guess like the connotation that sacrifice has is one of, of like enduring shit for something good later on. Mm -hmm. And something that I've done is kind of like reframe the connotation. And I like, I don't use the term sacrifice anymore, but like, cause like I have, I have goals and we kind of talked about this, but it's like trying to enjoy, you know, not, not buying those Pokemon cards because I know that there's a bike later on, but not, not recognizing or not calling it a sacrifice, but just a decision because I guess like we're, we're giving up something good, which is the Pokemon card for something that is not good. Me without a Pokemon card for a later good, which is a bike. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, what if we think about it as life is still really good without a Pokemon card. And I, you know, with like kids, I know we talked about this, like counts or, uh, Bishop Jensen, uh, you getting high while watching a movie with your son, <laughs> like, can life, can life be good? Even when like they're crawling all over you and poking your eyeball and wasting your money and eating your food and like killing <laughs> the amount of sleep that you, I just like my daughter's sick. I literally held her for like two hours this morning and I was like getting like ragey because Every time I attempted to like put her down, she'd, eh, and I'm like, I'm fucking going to kill you. Don't just, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. But it's, it's a constant, I don't know, trying to like reframe the sacrifice component of it because mm. yeah, if we're just sacrificing continually for little pockets of, of happiness, like that's a pretty dreary life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, we are in the lone and dreary world, so. <laughs> It's to be expected. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's um, no, that's actually. I really appreciate that, Counselor Davis, because I think that uh, you know that'll that's something that'll further change my perspective on that. Um, and then I can just enjoy my life more. Uh, yeah, I think that's really good reframing that, because you are making 
like when you're you're sacrificing or delaying gratification or whatever, like you are making a rational trade in your mind, right? So be happy with the the trade you're making. Mm-hmm. You're making a deal. Be happy with your deal, right? Um, because it, it could be a, yeah a whole like just thinking in in church like I was I was pretty good Mormon, mm-hmm. and I can't and I can't say that I was like there was always something that I was like working towards. There was never like a time that you could just sit back and say, ah, like I find satisfaction in this moment. Mm. Cause soon as I was married, it's like, I got to have kids. Mm-hmm. And then they don't tell you that having kids is really, really hard. And you're like, we should have waited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should have waited to like, <laughs> man. Uh, but like, yeah, just like getting into a moment and being satisfied with, with what we have, like, I know Elder Jackson is about to embark on a super cool journey. And I made the comment like, well, you're going to do a lot of driving. Mm-hmm. But then he said, he's like, I think it's going to be awesome. I love, I love driving. So I actually, that's one of my favorite parts about going somewhere is, is just sitting in the car, preferably alone. I don't like, I don't like traveling <laughs> with people. Just me, please. And thank you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. just that's that's like the value that I've kind of um, I guess like enjoying the present and finding finding satisfaction. So when I said define gratification, like gratification is that similar to satisfaction or contentment or is it like like this hedonistic, mindless mm. like hit? Yeah, you know, that Elder Elder Jackson kind of mentioned. Yeah, and I think um, kind of on the topic of this hedonic treadmill idea. Um, the, you know, okay, we're married. Now we have to have kids. This is something my sister and her husband have, have dealt with. So his, so his family, uh, very, very nice people, but they, um, his dad, I guess, told him when he turned 18, oh, you're not an adult until like you've gone on your mission. So he goes on his mission. And then he gets back and, well, I mean, but you have to like go to school or get a career, like you have to do something. And so he goes to school, he gets his uh, master's and becomes an accountant and does all of this stuff. It's like, okay, but you got to be married. He gets married. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not a real adult till you've had a kid. Okay. He has a kid. Okay. Yeah. But you have to like, you have to buy a house before you're really an adult. (laughs) And it's like this whole thing. And now they've bought a house. And now the thing is, yeah, but your kids haven't started school yet. So it's like this whole, like, again and again, there's always something more, always some new expectation. And, uh, and, and it, it sucks. Like, you're never, you're never there. You're never at a place where you can sit there and say, like, I'm just enjoying this moment. Right now, right here, I love this. And this is great. And sure, move on to the next thing. But take some time to appreciate where you're at right now too. I feel like the hallelujah chorus should kick in after that. <laughs> I, I should, uh, I should download on the, on the soundboard. Do I have a clapping? Oh, Are we going to do um, the, the Messiah for one of these episodes coming up? The Handel's Messiah? Like a critique of Handel's Messiah? <laughs> Handel's Messiah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, not a critique. We should do a performance. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And we should do do some editing of the words. I'll leave that up to Bishop Jensen to approve. That's that's really intense. Editing the words to the Handel's Messiah. Yeah. I, do like a do like a parody. <laughs> I will need to find the time for that. Oh. <laughs> Don't find the time. Make the time, Bishop. Make the time. If, if yeah. you really okay. if you really Spoken care like about this project. Here. Yeah, if you really care about this project, you will you will sacrifice family and and work and <laughs> career and, every, and everything. everything everything for the downloads. You will you um, will give <laughs> of your what what do they say? You will give of your time, talents, time. and money or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your your service is greatly appreciated. That that will do. <laughs> So, I mean, like, uh, I sent out these quizzes as like, uh, hey, take take five minutes to kind of see where you're at with values. Um, 
that was kind of my, sometimes I feel like I'm wandering, trying to figure out who I am or, or whatever, looking for like an anchor in life. Um, and that was why that was the genesis of me kind of looking at these values and then realizing that I have no values and then asking myself, is it really important if I have personal values? Mm -hmm. Um, where are you guys at in reestablishing your, your personal values? Is it important to reestablish personal values? I think of some sort, maybe, I I mean, or is it just this chill for, uh, for, for consultants to just, uh, take advantage of insecure people and insecure businesses. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. That's absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think you, I think you need to get to a place where you're, you're comfortable. Like if you were to ask me, what are your values? I would just say the people around me, like, that's what I care about. You know, when I'm in this conversation with Bishop Jensen and counselor Davis, I'm in this conversation with you right? Mm -hmm. When I was at the mall with my little sisters last week, I was at the mall with my little sisters, right? Uh, And then I had somebody got mad at me because I didn't reply to an email, but it's like, what? You know, because that's what I value. You know, I value where I'm at in that, in that moment. And I can, I I can let those other things sit by. Um, But yeah, uh, as far as particular magic you know three magic words that i paint on my wall and in some special script integrity love jesus <laughs> you know those aren't my values my values is just spending time with the people that i'm with when i'm with them how about you counselor davis um yeah i think values for me are helping me determine, you know, what I want in life. And it's, it's definitely been interesting the last couple of years to figure out what I want in life. And the values kind of help establish our intentions, I guess. Mm. Um, like I'm, I'm all, I, if this hasn't come through yet, I'm very, I'm very passionate about like being present and being like with the people that I'm, you know, with in the moment. And I spent a lot of time worrying about both in Mormonism and in my past job, worrying about what's coming down the pipe, mm. be it good or bad. And just totally missing the here and now, which is basically all we got. Like the future's uncertain. The past is done. Like all we have is this moment which is like kind of uh, uncomfortably deep saying that, but the values have really guided me to, yeah, focus on where I'm at with myself, like making sure that I'm good and then uh, making sure that my wife and our relationship is good and that my daughters are looked after. And that's kind of the priority. You know, when I used to like, I used to hate when people would post on, on LinkedIn of all places, like I am a father and then, or no, I'm a husband, then I'm a father and then I'm this, and then I'm the owner of this business. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you got your priorities messed up. But now I'm like, no, I, I totally agree with that. Hmm. Cause mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I, I need to be a, a, a human first, a husband, second, a dad, third, and then everything else kind of falls into place, mm-hmm. which I've, you know, I never, I never really had like the church is all about families and blah, blah, blah. But like, I was like, no, I was in a bishopric. I was striving for leadership. I was going to do all these things and I was going to be happy and I'm going to bring blessings to my family and chase the ever elusive Mormon carrot. And uh, I don't want to do that anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So you guys have both like really touched on this value of presentism presentness presentness being present being in the moment presentism (laughs) i don't know i don't know um so like it's interesting that you guys both have that value do you think there's something about mormonism that kind of you know leaving it behind makes you think that being present is more important than or was being present important when you were mormon Mm -mm. no it wasn't at all 
to to me because the thing was always the celestial kingdom like there was this great reward to be reaped at the end of this life and uh and a lot of my time was just kind of spent excited for that you know you sit down with any group of mormon ysas and the conversation inevitably uh, once the spirit goes to bed at midnight becomes oh won't the celestial kingdom be so cool won't that be awesome Mm -hmm. and it just kind of is this wishful thinking about the future rather than this man i just appreciate spending time with you guys you know thanks for being here this was fun Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like we're told that we're in the fiery furnace and that we're being purified you know to be gold oh and we're like like it's insane how like everything's just deferred just yeah don't don't take thought of your needs now just you know just focus on god and everything will be taken care of yeah i mean we're literally taught that this life sucks (laughs) that's like a mormon teaching (laughs) is like life sucks you know uh instead of hey there's lots of things that you can do to enjoy your your life now and the people you have now uh and i think you also miss out uh, because, you know, and I, I've heard this be, before, uh, when people die, oh, I'll see them again. They're unconcerned that they missed out in this life, spending time with them. And they don't use that as a motivator to get them to spend time with other people who they care about. They just say, oh, well, I mean, I'm really busy with this stuff right now. Uh, and so, well, if I if they die, I'll just see them again. And there's kind of that weird, um, I don't know, weird lack of interest in family and friends and, and really spending that quality time with them because uh, you got forever. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And I remember making a comment to uh, a loved one about, you know, the rate of suicide suicide among um, LGBTQ uh, youth in in Utah. And their response was, well, oh, what was their response? No, they were just like, well, they're dying. They're returning to God. I'm like, what? No, like suicide is the end event of a traumatic journey. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just one day I'm done. It's like, there is years, decades of hating yourself, of feeling you're not loved, of isolation, of all these things that lead to suicide. And if we don't treasure life, then what do we treasure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bishop, your pondering thoughts, what, what profound statement will you leave us with? <laughs> or are what we closing out the, now? What doth the spirit prompt you? Well, I think like that's something, I guess, uh, anybody who's looking to reestablish themselves, I, it seems like present being learning to become present is a, uh, a, a common theme among people who leave the church. It seems like because the church has got a perpetual system of carrots, you know, mm-hmm. onto the next thing, onto the next thing. I found that as I've achieved things in life, the achievement always feels hollow. And I think it's because when, let's say, like the final uh, chartered accountant exam, right? It was like this mythical dragon that you'd hear whispers of in university of, of the, the, the fail rate and, and how impossible of a beast this thing was to pass. Um, but then you end up going through all the prep work for it. And then I write the exam and uh, Counselor Davis, you and I were talking about this a couple of days ago, how we both finished early. Um, and then I passed and I still felt the same as what I, w- as what I felt the morning before I found out that I passed and I hadn't changed and nothing had changed. And the fact that I could do this thing that seemed impossible just made it seem a lot less uh, worthwhile because it's like, Oh, I actually, like I went through the motions, I did it. And now that I know I can do it, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. So what did I really accomplish? Mm -hmm. Right. But the, I don't know, the fulfilling and rewarding part of it was the preparing 
the getting ready for it, the the summer you spend with your friends practicing writing exams and marking each other's exams. That was the fun. That was the adventure of the exam. Passing it was like whatever. <laughs> like my memories yeah. are all tied up in the journey. They're not tied up in the event of passing and achieving the goal, right? And so I think like when you're always chasing, you're always chasing, you're always chasing. It's like uh, you, you're just never going to be fulfilled with perpetual achievement, I don't mm-hmm. think. But the journey is where you find the joy. And there's and joy we've in heard the journey. That. Didn't song, right? <laughs> yeah. Season, season of courage. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's like what so many people say that are like outside of the church. You don't hear a lot of people say that inside the church. Mm-hmm. But we hear like endure, endure with joy or like endure joy to bad. the end. Enjoy, enjoy to the end. That's what it should be. Like enjoy, but it's endure. It's mm-hmm. like we want to get through this fucking life as fast as we fucking can because it's useless. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. But it is. It's the joy is truly in the jury. Like same thing. Like the years leading up to being married were albeit we're in the church, we had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Like Bishop Jensen and I, like I remember speeding to the temple in Cardston on Halloween, on the night that there was a Halloween dance in Lethbridge. And we drove about a hundred and <laughs> like in kilometers here, we drove like a hundred and like 50, uh-huh. breaking the law the entire way to do yeah. a session at the temple. to drive the same speed all the way back to Lethbridge to go to a dance where he was Dwight K. Schrute and I was... Jim, Jim Helper, Jim Helper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, that was fun. And like, why did we do that? I'm trying, I can't remember why we, we were so righteous. We were so righteous. We needed to do a session at the temple. Why were we going to the dance in Lethbridge? Did you have a girlfriend there or something? Um, I don't think so. It's just a party. I can't, I can't remember why we would, I remember going to the dance dressed up as Dwight and Jim and having a riot. I just can't remember why we thought that was a good idea, but it was fun either way. Right. Um, yeah, lots of good times. Like I, I've gone through this thing. I remember when I got to high school and I'd look back on my days in junior high and I thought, man, Bishop Jensen in junior high had nothing to worry about. And then I was on my mission and I was like, man, High school, Bishop Jensen had nothing to worry about. And then I was in university. I was like, man, mission, Bishop Jensen had nothing. To... And it's like every two years, I look back on the previous two years and be like, man, those were the best days. And then I just realized I'm in the best days right now. And in two years from now, I'm going to look back and be like, man, I wish life was as chill as what it was two years ago. So I should just, you know, relax and enjoy where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, Learning to be present, learning to to take off the the Mormon uh, perspective of perpetual achievement, and uh, and never finding satisfaction in it, seems to be a key way to go when uh, graduating from Mormonism. Yeah. Boom. And finding your values. Just yeah. chill. Okay. Hey, hey. Are we ready to seal this? Yeah. In the let, name let, let's of the Holy seal Spirit. It. In the name of the Father, <laughs> Son, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost. Amen. Yeah. Amen.